The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 8 to the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. Because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Okay, we're in uh, Numbers 26, 52 through 65 today. And this is entitled The Second Census, Part 2. Let's see here, 52. Here we are. Okay. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, To these the land shall be divided as an inheritance, according to the number of names. To a large tribe you shall give a larger inheritance, and to a small tribe you shall give a smaller inheritance. Each shall be given its inheritance according to those who are numbered of them. But the land shall be divided by lot. They shall inherit according to the names of the tribes of their fathers. According to the lot, their inheritance shall be divided between the larger and the smaller. And these are those who are numbered of the Levites according to their families. Of Gershon, the family of the Gershonites. Of Kohath, the family of the Kohathites. Of Merari, the family of the Merarites. These are the families of the Levites, the family of the Libnites, the family of the Hebronites, the family of the Malites, the family of the Mushites, and the family of the Korathites. And Kohath begot Amram. The name of Amram's wife was Jacobed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And to Amram she bore Aaron and Moses and their sister Miriam. To Aaron were born Nadav and Avihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And Nadav and Avihu died when they offered profane fire before the Lord. Now those who were numbered of them were 23,000, every male from a month old and above, for they were not numbered among the other children of Israel because there was no inheritance given to them among the children of Israel. These are those who were numbered by Moses and Eleazar the priest, who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. But among these, there was not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron, the priest, when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said of them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was not left a man of them, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Israel is at the door of Canaan. The tribes have been counted except for Levi, and Levi is next. Their counting will be in a different way and for a different purpose, but they too will be counted. As for the division of the land, that will be by lot. 
The founder of Methodism, John Wesley, was a big fan of casting lots. He would cast them for making all kinds of decisions, including both marriage and settling tough theological issues. I wouldn't recommend lots for either, for sure. If you're planning on finding a wife and you are set on casting lots, I wish you well in your misery. If you are casting lots for settling a theological debate, you might see where John Wesley landed on some rather important points of doctrine, meaning on the wrong side of them. However, all things fit the purposes of the Lord, including someone stuck in a bad marriage who will hopefully honor the Lord even through it, and his purposes are realized in people with good as well as bad theology. Unfortunately, those who follow teachers with bad theology get sucked up into their bad theology as well. John Wesley leaned towards the view of Jacob Arminius concerning depravity and the loss of salvation. His conclusions for both of them are entirely incorrect. Today, there are still teachers out there who follow his doctrine on these issues. We've got one prophecy update person on YouTube. There's, you know, a lot of prophecy update people, so I'm not giving the name, but I will say that he teaches the Wesleyan Arminianism view on these issues, and he's entirely wrong. Lots served a purpose at a certain time in redemptive history, and they brought about the will of the Lord, as he intended. But they are also never mentioned after Acts chapter 2. At that time, what happened? The Holy Spirit was given, and in the span of a few short years, the books of the Bible were complete. What on earth do we need lots for now? Our text verse comes from Ephesians 1, it's verses 13 and 14. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, remember that song that we played at the beginning, to the praise of his glorious grace? That's just another translation of this same verse, and I did not plan that today. It just happened that that song happened to be played at the same time as something we have in our text verse. Paul says that when we trust in the word of truth, meaning believing the gospel of our salvation, the sealing of the Holy Spirit of promise is the guarantee of our inheritance. Do we need to cast lots in order to know if we are saved? Do we need to cast lots in order to know if we are saved once for all time? Do we need to cast lots to determine what the effects of our salvation will be? No. The Bible in just those two verses tells us the answer to those and quite a few other questions. But there is something about the idea of the lot, which is found right in the sermon verses we just read that you might not be aware of. What does a second census of Israel just prior to their entry into Canaan have to do with the idea of lots? Well, stick around and you might find out. I'm pretty sure you will. It's all to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. Before I give you our first thought, I'd like to say once again how tickled I am that Mike is here with us today on his birthday. Thank you for that. It's a real honor. Our first thought today is the land shall be divided as an inheritance. It's verses 52 through 65. Verse 52, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, the Lord is carefully and methodically detailing his intent for Israel. In verses 26, 1 and 2, which occurred after the plague, the Lord told Israel to take a census. Think of it. Israel has wandered in the desert since leaving Sinai, and all of that generation had died. 
the first census would have been no good to them at all. The number of some tribes had changed dramatically in the intervening years. We saw that last week. Further, some of the greatest changes of all were inferred to have come just a short time before in the plague which resulted from the incident at Peor. The Lord knew that a new census was needed, and now this is the perfect time for it to occur. And this is because they were preparing to enter into their long-awaited inheritance, Canaan. The stage has been set, and that is now explicitly stated. Verse 53, to these the land shall be divided as an inheritance according to the number of names. There are three requirements of the division of the land which will be seen. The first is that of the inheritance according to the number of names, meaning individual people. Thus, the size of the land will be in accord with the size of the tribe, kind of. This is then further defined by the Lord with the words of verse 54. To a large tribe you shall give a larger inheritance, and to a small tribe you shall give a smaller inheritance. The words are second person singular. The Lord is speaking to Moses. You shall give. However, with the exception of the land east of the Jordan, which will be granted before entry into Canaan, the land division doesn't actually take place for quite some time after his death. It shows that the census under Moses is the deciding factor for those future divisions of inheritance. As far as the size of the inheritance being larger for a large tribe and smaller for a small tribe, this seems obvious, but it is not what is being referred to. Rather, the word tribe is inserted by the New King James Version translators. This is not referring to the land given to the tribes, but to the land within the allotted portion, which is to be given to the families within the tribe. Remember last week, all of the families were detailed again and again and again. This must be so because the Lord will divide the land by lot for the tribes, as is noted in verse 55. That means that the size of the lot per tribe is given by the Lord, not according to total population but according to location, regardless of size. Despite this, one must also look at the wisdom of God and how this comes about. First, this is the official accounting of the names, and yet the land will not be divided up according to these names until the land is subdued. That is going to take over seven years from this point in time, as is recorded in Joshua 11 with these words. So Joshua took the whole land, according to all that the Lord had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel, according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. How many will die in battle? How many will die of natural causes? How many sons are or will be born to each of these groups during those seven years? And of those sons, how many will turn into adults during those seven years? Those statistics are irrelevant. The census now will determine the land grant to each tribe after the land is subdued. This is certain because of the words to Moses, you shall give, and by the fact that no census is later directed for the land division. If another census was conducted, it would have been recorded. Instead, the numbers are now the deciding factor. Because the casting of the lot will determine the actual selection of land for each tribe, the size of tribe, though seemingly a factor in deciding land division, is not what is being spoken of here. Instead, the division by lot means that each tribe is to be satisfied within its inheritance as divided by the Lord. 
a larger family will have a larger inheritance within the confines of its land, and a smaller family will receive a smaller inheritance. Thus, verse 54 continues, each shall be given its inheritance according to those who are numbered of them. The numbers apply to each family, which comprises the tribe, as seen in the counting of the first 51 verses. If you have forgotten that sermon, we can repeat it from last week. Anybody want to hear all 51 verses again? No. Jay is over there saying, oh, no. <laughs> or we can simply note that the sons of Jacob, with the exception of Levi, were numbered. And the numbering of Joseph was divided into his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, who were adopted by Jacob. Thus, there are ten natural sons plus the two adopted sons in place of their father, Joseph, making 12 tribes, and thus 12 land divisions. Within those divisions, individual families will be granted their portion according to their size. However, whatever inheritance is given to the tribe as a whole will be called by that name from that time forward. Thus, the land given to Judah would forever be known as the land of Judah. From the time of the initial division, this is then seen. For example, in Isaiah chapter 9, it notes the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. The land is known according to the name of their father. As such, there is never a land spoken of as Levi. Though there will be cities known as Levitical cities, they are within the tribes of these 12 inheritances. There is no specific land named for him. This will be understood as we continue on. Levi means attached, and he will be attached to the other tribes in his own unique way. Verse 55, but the land shall be divided by lot. Ach, begoral yechalek et haaretz. Surely in lot shall be divided the land. This is now the second requirement of the division of land. It is to be divided by goral, or lot. So far, the only passage where the lot has been mentioned was in Leviticus chapter 16, that lot was used to determine the status of the two goats which stood before the Lord, one for sacrifice and one as Azazel, or the scapegoat, the goat of release. As noted then, so it is to be understood now. From Proverbs 16, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. This then is a sign that the Lord is the ultimate deciding factor of where each tribe will be situated. Though there may be greater numbers of people in a smaller parcel of land, the Lord determined that each shall be given its inheritance according to those who are numbered of them. In this, another proverb is to be considered. Proverbs 18.18, 18, casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. One can see that the lot is given to determine what the particular situation of the land which is chosen for each tribe will be. In other words, Judah will be given land to the very south in Israel, as can be seen by all of the rest of Scripture and even by prophecies which have already been made, such as by Jacob upon his sons. This is obviously by the Lord's design. The situation of Judah, meaning where it is located, will become a point of fulfilling those prophecies. The northern tribes will be situated where the majority of their people will be taken away in permanent exile. However, Judah will be preserved, returning to her land after an exile of 70 years, thus allowing for the Messiah to come as prophesied. What may seem uninteresting to read actually turns out to be marvelous to the mind when properly contemplated from the larger perspective. The division of Lot is next further explained. Verse 55 going on. 
and they shall inherit according to the names of the tribes of their fathers. This confirms what has already been deduced and it forms the third requirement concerning land division. The term, the tribes of their fathers, indicates the named tribes of the sons of Israel, minus Levi and inclusive of Manasseh and Benjamin, who represent their father Joseph. Verse 56, according to the lot, their inheritance shall be divided between the larger and the smaller. Alpi Hagorau, according to the mouth of the lot. It's an interesting expression which personifies the lot. As the lot speaks out, so shall the inheritance be. And again, it says between the larger and the smaller. As the larger in number may get a smaller piece of land or vice versa, it means that whatever the division for the sizes of the land, so shall the decision of the lot stand according to divine providence. Once that determination is made, from there the land will be divided by family size. What is interesting here, and what speaks of the providence of God over the nations, because as the proverb notes, the decision of the lot is from the Lord, the scholar Kyle, who lived in the 1800s, notes the following. On this ground, not only was the lot resorted to by the Greeks and Romans in the distribution of conquered lands, see proofs in Clericus, Rosenmiller, and Noble, but it is still employed in the division of lands. In the 1800s, people were still throwing lots to divide the land in the world. In other words, what may seem as arbitrary in the establishment of the borders of the nations in human history is actually a work of God as he directs those borders. He did it first through language, separating people accordingly. However, the nations have continued to have an unseen hand, which has kept them aligned according to his will and the purpose of God. And this is leading everything to history's end goal and purpose. Verse 57. And these are those who are numbered of the Levites according to their families. With the census of the first 12 tribes complete, the counting of the Levites is next recorded. The Levites are counted separately because they are set apart to the Lord. He is their inheritance, and so no land division is to be made for them. Rather, they will be counted for the service of the Lord and of the people. As a point of generational history, Levi lived to be 137 years old. He went down to Egypt with the family, and he died there. He is the father of the tribe, and the counting is made first by family according to the sons of Levi. Verse 57 going on. Of Gershon, the family of the Gershonites. Of Kohath, the family of the Kohathites. Of Merari, the family of the Merarites. There are three sons of Levi. As a point of generational history, the age of Kohath is specifically given at his death. He was 133 years old when he died. It is from him and his brothers, Gershon and Merari, that the next division of families is to be made. Verse 58, these are the families of the Levites, the family of the Livnites, the family of the Hebronites, the family of the Malites, the family of the Mushites, and the family of the Korathites. And Kohath begot Amram. These are the next generations of Levites, which will become families in their own standing and who are all listed by name in the earlier census and numbers. As a point of generational history, the age of Amram is specifically given at his death. Like his grandfather Levi, he was 137 years old when he died. Before I go on, we've got all of these people that are being mentioned, and only one, the age is given. And then you give his descendants, and there's, say, five children, and the age of only one is given. You see, I'm giving you that for a reason. 
God is telling us something by giving us the age of one person in this particular family for a reason. Stay tuned. Verse 59. The name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. The daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. Now comes a rare occurrence in scripture where the name of a wife is included in a genealogy. The name of Amram's wife is Jochebed. The only other time she is mentioned is in Exodus 6, verse 20. In the counting of the listing of the family of Levi, there it said, Now Amram took for himself Jochebed, his father's sister, as wife. The daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt, his father's sister, as wife. And she bore him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were 137. Here now, she is again noted as Amram's wife, but instead of calling her his father's sister, here she is called the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. The specificity is not to be missed. And the importance of calling her both his father's sister and the daughter of Levi is to ensure that no mistake is made concerning the generations of Moses. For example, the scholar John Lang, who I admire greatly, He says something wrong here. We note a significant fact which forms the central point in this narrative and has occasioned some difficulty. Kohath's son is called Amram, the father of Aaron, Moses, and Miriam, bears the same name. The illustrious family is through the identity of names brought back closely to its ancestor Levi. He's saying there's actually two Amrams in the generation. The reoccurrence of the same names constitutes no difficulty. But Jochebed could not have been the daughter of Levi in the strict sense Generations have come and gone between Levi and the mother of Moses. She was a daughter of Levi in the sense that she was a descendant. The term does not necessarily determine the nearness of the relation. That's John Lang, and it is an incorrect analysis. John Lang, like many scholars, and as is implied in many translations of the Bible, assumes that Jochebed could not be the daughter of Levi, and yet the mother of Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. He believes this is impossible because, as he said, generations have come and gone between Levi and the mother of Moses. But this is incorrect. This is why the age of Levi was given at his death, 137 years old. The only other son of Jacob whose age at death was recorded was Joseph, and that because it was necessary to know. How many sons did Jacob have? Twelve sons? Only two are listed. We needed to know Jacob's age at death, and only one other son is listed by age at death, and that's Levi. Next, of the three sons of Levi, only the age at death is given for his son Kohath, 133 years old. And then for all of the sons of Kohath, only the age of Amram is given at his death, 137 years old. As the Israelites dwelt in Egypt for 215 years, These ages are given to show us the reliability of God's promise to Abraham and thus the reliability of the word of God itself. This is evidenced by the next words. Verse 59 continues, And to Amram she bore Aaron and Moses and their sister Miriam. Jochebed is Levi's natural daughter and Kohath is Levi's natural son. Amram is Levi's grandson who married his aunt. Levi's daughter. It is to this union that Aaron, Moses, and Miriam, Levi's great-grandchildren, were born. 
The special record of this line is given first to establish a direct line from Abraham to Moses and Aaron through Isaac and Jacob. That is clearly evident when compared with the other sets of genealogies already given in the Bible. This is also recorded because God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 concerning his descendants. God cannot lie. When he says something, it will come to pass. Here's what he said to Abraham. Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. That is not only speaking of Egypt. That is speaking of the land of Canaan and Egypt. And that's where many scholars get this wrong and they come up with incorrect analysis because of that. They are strangers both in Canaan and in Egypt. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. We know that that's Egypt. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age, verse 16. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. This specifically recorded set of years of life in the special note of Jochebed as being both the daughter of Levi and the sister of Kohath is given to show that the Lord's words are both true and fulfilled. Jacob went to Egypt with his family, which included his son Levi and Levi's three grandsons, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. In Egypt, Kohath had a son named Amram, and Amram had a son named Moses. Thus, Moses is the fourth generation from Jacob who went to Egypt, and the sons of Aaron and Moses are the fourth generation from Kohath, Levi's son, who also went to Egypt. As they will enter Canaan, the prophecy has been fulfilled. This listing is a proof of the fulfillment of covenant promise. Moses, the fourth generation of Levi, has brought the people to the doorstep of the land of promise, even if he himself will not enter, and his sons are the fourth generation from Kohath. Thirdly, because the specific ages of Levi, Kohath, and Amram are given, there is no need to debate the approximate length of time which the Israelites dwelt in Egypt. This dating can be checked against other dating, and it confirms that there are no missing generations in the genealogies. In other words, the line goes directly from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Levi to Kohath to Amram and then to Moses and Aaron without any interim generations being left out. The line is complete and unbroken. Moses is the seventh from Abraham, from promise to deliverer. When his sons enter Canaan, they will be the eighth generation, which in the Bible always signifies new beginnings. They are the generation of new beginnings, entering the land of promise. Now think before I go on of the Israelites today who are going to come to Christ and they are going to enter into the promised inheritance, the generation of new beginnings. God is showing us parallels and patterns of what he is doing in human history through Moses and all the way through until the end times. The name Jochebed or Yochebed carries the abbreviated form of Yah or Yehovah. Her name means either Yehovah's glory or glory of Yehovah. It is a fitting and appropriate name indeed. Her son Moses was the one who led the people of Israel as they saw the glory of the Lord in the most astonishing ways. Her husband's name, Amram, means a people exalted. Looking at this union, there is a picture of what is coming. Israel, a people exalted, has been united 
to the Lord of glory. It's a picture of what God is doing with Israel after their time of punishment, which is ending in our lifetime. As usual, what seems like a tedious and unnecessary listing of names, which could only excite someone who had just come out of a coma or maybe put him back into one, is really a marvelously given set of hints and clues to the majesty of what God has tucked away in his superior word. Verse 60, to Aaron were born Nadav and Avihu, Eliezer and Ithamar. Now the specific line of Aaron, the priestly line, is given. As a point of generational history, the age of Aaron is recorded at his death. That's coming soon. In Numbers 33, 39, it will show that he was 1, 2, 3, 123 years old when he died. Thus, the generations are recorded, they are reliable, the dating is reliable, and the promise is fulfilled. His sons, the fourth generation from Kohath, who had entered Egypt with Jacob, would enter the land of Canaan, even if not all of his sons entered Canaan. Verse 61, and Nadav and Avihu died when they offered profane fire before the Lord. Aaron's two oldest sons were excluded from entry into Canaan because they transgressed by offering profane fire before the Lord. Thus, they died and their bodies were buried in the wilderness near Mount Sinai. Their actions stand as a witness to the holiness of the Lord. Because of their deaths, only the two younger sons would enter into the promised inheritance. But they did enter, and therefore the promise of God made hundreds of years earlier that the fourth generation would enter was fulfilled exactingly. It shows that God is not limited to time, but he sees all of history open before him. Verse 62, now those who were numbered of them were 23,000, every male from a month old and above. Unlike the census for the rest of Israel, which was males 20 and above, the counting of the Levites is of all males, one month old and above. The other tribes were counted from 20 because they were reckoned as men of war. The Levites are taken in place of the firstborn of the other tribes, and because there were firstborn of all ages when the original exchange was made, all ages of Levites are counted, regardless of their ability to serve. The tribe of Levi increased by 1,000 since the first census, which was recorded in Numbers 3, verse 39. Such a small increase in number shows that the Levites probably suffered rather large losses in the rebellion of Korah. That was in Numbers chapter 16. This can be inferred because in Numbers chapter 3, there are families, those of Shimei, Izahar, and Uziel, who are not even listed here. Either those families died off naturally, or they may have died off in the rebellion. Whatever the case, if there were any remaining, they were probably assimilated into the other families listed here. Verse 62 continues, For they were not numbered among the other children of Israel, because there was no inheritance given to them among the children of Israel. These words are based on what was recorded in chapter 18. First for Aaron, meaning the priests. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion in your inheritance among the children of Israel. And next, it also applies to non-priestly Levites. It says in Numbers 18 again, But the Levites shall perform the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. For the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. Therefore, I have said to them, among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. Those words are now confirmed at this census. The tribe of Levi, or attached, 
is counted separately because they will be attached to Israel in a unique way. That will continue to be seen as the pages of Scripture unfold in the days ahead. Verse 63, these are those who are numbered by Moses and Eliezer, the priest, who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. These words take us back to verse 1, where the Lord addressed both Moses and Eliezer. They were instructed to take a census of Israel. There it mentioned those 20 years old and above, meaning the tribes of war-aged men. However, this is now inclusive of the census of Levi as well. The entire congregation is numbered in the plains of Moab, or from father, by the Jordan, meaning descender, which is across from Jericho, or place of fragrance. One can see a picture of the people who are accepted by God because of Christ, the descender. Such was not always the case there. Did everybody see that? There's a picture being made by those names right there. The people are from father. All right, let me read it again. Moab is from father. The Jordan is the descender. It's a picture of Christ descending to the earth, which is across from Jericho or a place of fragrance. They're being accepted like fragrance by God. There's a picture of God accepting them because of Christ. Verse 64, but among these, there was not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron, the priest, when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. The disobedient generation is gone. They're consumed by time and their wanderings. This included all of the congregation, including those of Levi, who rejected the Lord some 38 years earlier. And that even included Aaron, who is named here as participating in the original census, but whose son has taken his place in this census. The hope and anticipation of the people at Sinai ended in futility. It is for a new generation to enter into the promised inheritance. Verse 65, For the Lord had said of them, They shall surely die in the wilderness. This final verse of the chapter shows us that the word of the Lord was fulfilled exactly as he had spoken. The people had rebelled, sentence was pronounced, and the execution was completed one day at a time until all of the disobedient were gone, with but two exceptions. Interestingly, there is an acrostic found in the words, Ki Amar Yehovah Lahem Mot Yamutu, or for said Yehovah, of them dying they shall die, the last four letters of those words spell out hem too. They were killed. It is an additional emphasis in God's word concerning the disobedient generation. The Lord promised that dying they would die, and in fact, he killed them off to the last disobedient man. That left just two of the entire generation. Verse 65 finishes with, So there was not left a man of them, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. The words here confirm the words of Numbers chapter 14. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones whom you said would be victims, I will bring in and they shall know the land which you have despised. As noted then, Joshua and Caleb were given as types of those who would enter the promise. Caleb, or dog, pictures those Gentiles who are of the faith and who received the promise. Joshua, who is also a type of Christ elsewhere, here pictures those Jews who are of the faith and who received the promise. In this typology, the promise was made, and it reflects the notion of entering into the inheritance based on one's faith in the promise of the Lord. 
for the others who had lacked that faith, they met their end apart from the promise of God. Everybody seeing Israel here? The loss of Israel because they rejected Christ. The final words here do not bode well for Moses. Only two names are given as to those who will enter Canaan. Moses is not one of them. Those still alive in order to complete the Torah, he will die outside of the land of promise. The law is not of faith, but of works. The typology was set before time began, and Moses happened to be the one selected to fit the typology. The law has no part in the inheritance. The lot to help me decide is cast into the lap in hopes of telling me what to do. After I settle the matter of divine election, I'll take a nap. After I cast the lot, this is what I will do. I don't have to think the matter through because I have the lot to make the decision for me. Soon I will take my nap, so I will do. When I cast the lot, the truth of the matter, I shall see. It must be the right way to handle such matters. It worked when the Lord told Israel to do this very thing. But so many people's doctrine are found in tatters. Surely only good doctrine will casting the lot bring. Our second thought today is the casting of the lots. The land of Canaan was to be portioned out to the tribes according to goral or lots. That word comes from an unused root meaning to be rough like a stone and thus it signifies a pebble. Figuratively, the word signifies a portion or a destiny. So you've got the lot, which is an actual thing, but it also signifies a portion or a destiny in the Hebrew. Okay? That is seen, for example, in the book of Jeremiah, where the word goral or lot is used in a figurative way. Here's what it says. This is your lot, the portion of your measures from me, says the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in falsehood. Everybody see that? You've got a real lot, but you've also got a portion, a heritage, a destiny. All right. Interestingly, the same idea is seen in the Greek as is seen in the Hebrew. The kleros or lot is seen in both its literal and its figurative sense in the New Testament. Figuratively, it means a portion, just exactly as it does in the Hebrew or inheritance. Lots were cast for Christ's garment when he was on the cross, right? Likewise, kleros or lots were cast for choosing an apostle to replace Judas who had his own kleros or portion in Christ's ministry. The irony there is palpable. You see what's going on? The lot is cast for Christ's garments. He's being crucified because Judas sent him to the cross, and yet they throw the lots to get a portion to replace Judas. It's the same word being used almost in an irony. In Acts chapter 8, Simon the sorcerer was told he had no kleros or portion in the matter of the Holy Spirit because he was not right in the sight of God. Jesus said this to Paul at his conversion, though. I will deliver you from the Jewish people, as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance, a kleros, among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul, that same apostle, later wrote this to those at Colossae giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance, the kleros of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. The word kleros in turn comes from klao. It means to break, but specifically to break bread. It is used 14 times in the New Testament and always in relation to the breaking of bread implying fellowship. 
The bread, however, is given as a symbol of Christ's body, which was broken, just as bread is broken. But that was, again, in order to grant fellowship. Without the breaking of his body, there would be no fellowship with God, because he is the only conduit through which fellowship with God could come about. Without him, meaning what he did and how he did it in the giving of himself, such could never be. Understanding these things, we can see that the matter of the lot concerning Israel's inheritance is only spoken of now, after the time of wilderness wanderings. Though a census was made at the beginning of the book of Numbers, nothing was said of division of the land at that time. And yet, that was before any rejection of the Lord by or sentence upon the offenders. The Lord already knew that Israel would reject him. And so there was no explanation given to them concerning the lot and the land division at that time, because there would be no inheritance for that generation. The inheritance is granted based on faith in the Lord, not works of the law. Levi was given no inheritance because the Lord is said to be their inheritance. Levi represents the law, and thus the Lord is the law's inheritance. It was he alone who would come and fulfill the law. In his fulfillment of the law and in his death, which is that final fulfillment of the law, the law received its portion. Only after that came about could the inheritance, the kleros, be portioned out. The amazing details of the first census, which seemed so dull and so unpalatable before we started into it, is eclipsed by the magnificent concepts and details which are found in this second census, which certainly must have seemed even more dull and more unpalatable before we entered into it. But such is not the case. God is, in these difficult words of recorded history, revealing his plan and the glory of what he would do and has done through his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. As we saw from Proverbs 16, there's nothing arbitrary about the casting of lots. Rather, when the lot is cast, the decision is from the Lord. And in the casting of the lot, the inheritance is given, whatever it may be. Christ Jesus broke the bread and said, this is my body. And then Christ Jesus gave of his body so that we could obtain the inheritance, our portion among the saints. Just as the Lord knew that the first census would not result in inheritance, and just as the Lord knew that it would be for the fourth generation of those who entered into Egypt that would then enter into Canaan, God knew that the law could not save apart from the giving of his son. Today, I would appeal to you to refrain from attempting to please the Lord through self. Give up on self and come to Christ. Why do I feel qualified to give you this advice? Because I am a member of the Cleroi, or clergy, one appointed to a lot, or inheritance. In this life, my portion is, by the grace of God, one who has been appointed to serve you through this precious word. And I assure you that my solemn duty is to inform you of your need for Jesus. Come to the bread which has been broken in order to secure your inheritance with the saints of God. Come to Christ and receive your allotted heavenly portion. Everybody seeing this picture which is being made between Israel of the past and Israel of today, they were out. And God was doing something through the church through the past 2,000 years, not wasting time at all. Until the Jews come to faith in Christ, and then they will too receive their allotted inheritance, their portion among the saints. And this is what's being seen. I was talking to a 
Jewish friend of mine hint hint last night, and he had a Jewish friend of his that is uh, he hasn't seen for I think 15 years, and he came over and spent the evening with him last night, and they talked about Jesus. And I woke up this morning, and the first thing I started to do was to pray for that guy that he will be a part of that great inheritance, which is being pictured right here, right here. It's wonderful to think what God is doing right now in human history. He's given the Gentiles their chance. We excelled at it for a long time. We've started to tank, and somebody has to pick up the ball and run with it. The Gentiles are going to be raptured out that are left, and then the world's going to devolve into chaos. And after that chaos, Israel will again be at the head of the nations with full faith in Jesus Christ, their Messiah, who they missed the first time he came, right? Don't miss Jesus. The whole point of everything we've seen today is to point us to God's faithfulness, such as the fourth generation. Listen, there are other generations where the sixth or seventh generation of a tribe shows up in the land of Canaan because they had children quicker, right? Everybody understand that? He picked one line that he gave the ages of, only one line in all of scripture, and it was the line of Levi to show us that his promise is fulfilled. And not only is it fulfilled through any of them, but through a specific one of them, Levi. Why? Because Levi represents the law, and because Christ would be the fulfillment of the law. Everything points to Jesus. It is the most, mar my hair is standing up all over my arms. If your heart isn't beating fast, I think you need to go to the hospital really quickly because this is amazing. And these people have debated and argued over these things for centuries. I mean, I have no animosity at all towards John Lang. I cite him all the time and I love the guy. But he blew that analysis because he just couldn't see that. How can that be? It's because he didn't look at the, the, the details, the very finer details. And there it is right there. It's there telling us that God is in control of time. And if he's in control of time and this word is true, which it is, then Jesus is true. And the message of redemption through his blood is true. And the message of salvation and eternal life in his presence is true. It all is connected. You can't say there's a contradiction here and say that it's okay over here. You cannot do that. There is no contradiction. It's all wonderful. Please, if you haven't called on Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of God's favor. Now is the time of salvation. Today is the day of God's favor. Don't want to misquote it, but you get the picture. Call on Jesus, please. Our closing verse comes from Ephesians 1. It's verses 11 and 12. I read you 13 and 14 earlier. Now I'm giving you a couple before that. In him we also obtained an inheritance, a clerao, to cast lots being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. He's saying it's like we cast lots and you won the lot. You got the inheritance. And he goes on in verses 13 and 14 to say, it is the sealing of the Holy Spirit and the guaranteed promise that comes from God. It's marvelous when you see what's going on in Scripture and how these words in the Hebrew and in the Greek say the same thing. They're telling us the same redemptive story. Next week is Numbers 27, 1 through 11. The girls get an inheritance. Isn't that rad? It's entitled The Daughters of Zelophehad. That'll be our 52nd number sermon. Great stuff in that, that sermon. I'll tell you this, the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It may seem at times as if you are lost in a desert, wandering aimlessly, but the Lord is there. He's carefully leading you to the land of promise. And so follow him and trust him 
and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? Isn't it great? It's just great. Okay, I've got a uh, poem for you. It's called The Second Census, but before I do, this is a bone because some of you will know this. Some of you won't, that's okay, but some of you will know this, so somebody is getting a Maserati today. <laughs> I mentioned that lots were cast for Christ's garments, right? We saw that in the New Testament. Where was that specifically prophesied in the Old Testament? Come on, somebody's got to get this. No, no. Psalms, Psalm number, I'm going to give you a hint. Anybody? 22. 22, hey! So we got one, one Psalm got it, one twenty-two got it. Did you see my fingers or did you just know that? Did you see my fingers or did you just know that? You got it. Oh, hey, good job. Good job. My mom got a, uh, you'll get a Maserati and a half or something. I don't know. That was pretty good. We got Psalms and, and uh, Psalm 22. There you go. Okay. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, these words to him he was then relaying. To these the land shall be divided as an inheritance according to the number of names. To a large tribe you shall give a larger inheritance, so shall it be. And to a small tribe you shall give a smaller inheritance. Each shall be given its inheritance according to those who are numbered of them as directed by me. But the land shall be divided by lot. They shall inherit according to the names of the tribes of their fathers, one by one. According to the lot, their inheritance shall be divided between the larger and the smaller is how it shall be done. And these are those who are numbered of the Levites according to their families is how it shall be of Gershon, the family of the Gershonites, of Kohath, the family of the Kohathites, of Merari, the family of the Merarites, as directed by me. These are the families of the Levites, the family of the Livnites, the family of the Hebronites as well, the family of the Malites, the family of the Mushites, and the family of the Korathites, so the record does tell. And Kohath begot Amram, the name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, so was she. The daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt, and to Amram she bore Aaron and Moses, and their sister Miriam, so we see. To Aaron were born Nadav and Avihu, Eliezer and Ithamar too. And so died when they offered profane fire before the Lord, Nadav and Avihu. Now, those who were numbered of them were 23,000, every male from a month old and above, as the record does tell, for they were not numbered among the other children of Israel, because there was no inheritance given to them among the children of Israel. These are those who were numbered by Moses and Eleazar the priest, as the counting did go, who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. But among these, there was not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron the priest, when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai, from the greatest to the least. For the Lord had said of them, they shall surely die in the wilderness, each and every one. So there was not left a man of them, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. Lord God, we are even now in the wilderness and we are wanting to be led by you. Without you to direct, our lives would be a mess. And so be our guide, O God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand and may we take it into our lives daily, it apply. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah, we shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father. Thank you for the surety of this word. It really is marvelous to come here and to be able to say without any doubt at all that it is right, that what has been seen is confirmed and it's been confirmed a second and even a third or a fourth time. 
We have no need to worry if there are contradictions in your word. We have no need to worry if you have somehow failed us in getting something that we can understand and that will lead us to salvation. Rather, you have demonstrated your glory through the creation of this universe. You've done it through the giving of your word to us. And that word is revealed to us in this generation that you have given your son for our sins. What a blessing. What an honor. What a great treat to know that we can be saved by simple faith in Christ. And I would pray today, anybody that hasn't made that simple proclamation of faith, that they will do so today, being saved by the precious blood of the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. May it be so. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.